Welcome to the Science of Parenting podcast, where we connect you with research-based information that fits your family. We'll talk about the realities of being a parent and how research can help guide our parenting decisions. I'm Mackenzie Johnson, parent of two littles with their own quirks, and I'm a parenting educator. And I'm Lori Hanks, parent of three in three different life stages. One's launched, one in college, and one in high school. And I'm also a parenting educator. And today... We are continuing our conversation on temperament. Yes. Season three, yay, is all about parenting with temperament in mind. So Mm -hmm. when we look at this entire season and we think about temperament, we want to think about how it impacts your parenting. But just Mm -hmm. a quick reminder on what temperament is and what it isn't before we start. So temperament is our predisposition to how we react. It's inborn, it's genetic, and it's with us from the very beginning. So you might be wondering, how is it different from personality? Good question. So if we think (laughs) about temperament as that foundational piece, so we start with temperament, and then we layer on top of temperament the environment that we grow up in. We layer on our own growth and development as we age. We layer on life experiences. And as we layer all that on, it forms our personality. But when we think about temperament, it's always been there. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we're going to talk about the research and reality of temperament today, looking at one specific trait. Uh, but remember, the research we're looking at is some of that original research from Thomas and Chess. And then also, you know, research from James Cameron and his colleagues at Kaiser Permanente. Mm-hmm. They have been tracking kids' temperament, thousands of kids' temperament tro- profiles for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of great insight there. And when we know from this research that everybody gets all nine traits, the question is, did you get a little or did you get a lot? How much? Um, you know, and so as we think about that with our kids and with ourselves, you know, exploring that temperament, where we fall on each of those traits. Uh, we also want to remind you that we have a lot of resources from the topics we've already covered in temperament. And we're going to continue adding to that list on our temperament, um, on our, our temperament page on our website at scienceofparenting.org. Um, so you can check out those resources. You can find um, how to, where to, you might be able to take a temperament profile uh, like Lori assigned to me. <laughs> and all those things are found on our website. But for today, we get to talk about distractibility or perceptiveness, right? As Mary Sheedy, um, Mary Sheedy Krasinka calls it. Yes, exactly. So, love so this one too. Let's look at how we define it and mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how it plays into our role as a parent. So distractibility is about how much we notice things. Mm-hmm. I love that Mary Sheedy Krasinka talks about it as how am I distracted away from my focus? Mm -hmm. And the researchers do also call this perceptiveness. So how much is my child noticing other people, colors, noises, Mm -hmm. objects around them? Do they forget what I asked them to do because something else (laughs) caught their attention? Mm -hmm. So that idea of distractibility, but at the same time, thinking of thinking of it as perceptiveness. So how might you describe it in your own words? Mm. This is another one of those traits that I just love. Like either end of the the continuum, I think is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but I actually think of just like the phrase notice, like Mm -hmm. that particular phrase 
really sticks with me of like, do I notice, am I taking in all of those things around me? Am I noticing these really maybe like what others might deem not important, right? Taking in all that extra stuff. So that noticing, and I really, really love the word perceptive. Yes. I, I think that's like a very positive way for us to talk about this trait of taking lots of things in. So how do you describe it kind of in your own words? So I chuckle because I think that Kenzie DeYoung and I kind of think of it in the same way. It's mm -hmm. that, did I catch the shiny object? Did I notice <laughs> that? Or, you know, sometimes it'll be like squirrel, you know, and, and you catch, yeah. all of a sudden catch that, right? So I, I too mm -hmm. love the idea of perceptiveness uh, and, and that idea of perceiving the little things, those shiny mm. objects. Yeah. I feel like I've heard you say like catching the subtle Mm -hmm. You know, like picking up on those little subtle things. You know, I feel like that's some of the ways I've heard you talk about this trait too. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so we know that, right, every kid, every adult got a certain level of perceptiveness. Uh, did they get a little? Did they get a lot? You know, on that continuum. Um, and so I do want to explore that continuum. But I also want to remind everybody, our listeners, um, this trait in particular, sometimes people uh, might perceive that we might be talking about a medical diagnosis like ADHD or something like that. Um, what we are talking about today on our podcast is the temperament trait of distractibility or perceptiveness mm -hmm. um, and kind of that normal range, um, you know, of typical development uh, that kids and adults have. So just talking about temperament here today. And I love that you talk about there being this normal range, yes. which means that there are children adults who are highly distractible. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean there's some medical diagnosis. It just means that there is a normal range of yes. distractibility. There's a normal range of perceptiveness. So yes. let's start on one end of that continuum and let's start mm -hmm. with the less distractible or yes. less perceptive child. And these kids, they might not be easily swayed by those subtle messages around them. Mm -hmm they might miss the details. And it's important to remember that they may not be intentionally ignoring you or ignoring things, but they might just miss it and keep going right along with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think of, we talked about this example of like reading the book, mm -hmm. um, you know, with persistence, like, am I going to finish? You know, how important is it to get to, back to that task? I feel like, you know, sometimes we confuse this distractibility with perceptiveness or sensitivity. Um, but I think the difference is, if we think about it in that example of reading a book, mm -hmm. a less distractible child is able to hone in on that book and shut out, mm -hmm. right? They're not as distracted by the things around them. So even if there's a lot going on, they have that ability to kind of hone in and tune out, um, which is a skill that I maybe wish I had a little more of <laughs> or yeah. a natural ability, I might want to say. Um, but so, yes, that less distractible child might be honed in on the activity they're doing. And so it's, they're naturally able to tune out those things. It might not be intentional that you had to say their name six times. Uh, you know, they're not being obstinate necessarily. Exactly. Just they're honed in and tuned out. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that. They're, I can see it visually in my head mm. of just being honed in. I love that. So then yes. on the other side of the continuum is the child that is highly distractible or highly perceptive. And mm -hmm. this child is literally constantly taking in all of the sights and the sounds around them. Mm -hmm. And think of them as literally being barraged by messages in their brain and they're taking in so much they might not be able to sort out 
which message is the important message to be hearing right now, or which is the most important message that I should be responding to right now. You know, they might have a rich imagination and all those messages are coming at them. And what they really need is for you to help them to figure out which message they need to hone in on. And it's really worth pointing out here as well that it takes a lot of energy for a distractible, highly perceptive child to pay attention to things. And so by the end of really honing in and paying attention, frankly, they might just be exhausted. Oh, I relate to that so much. So my temperament, I fall on that highly distractible end. Um, and actually just recently I was at the, I was out about with my kids and we were in the pool, uh, and my son was having a hard time and mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's about one right now and he didn't really want to be in the pool. He was kind of fussy. He wanted to sit on the edge. And then it was just like, okay, I really need to pay attention to him and be alert mm -hmm. of what's going on to keep him safe here. While my daughter wanted me to catch her as she jumped off the edge or pay attention to this thing mm -hmm. she was doing and all of that stuff. And it just, I did, I realized after being at the pool and focusing so much energy on trying to keep my son safe, I was exhausted from tuning everything else out, the music and my daughter trying to get my attention and ooh, that highly distractible, that's exhausting it to is. hone in like that. It is. And think about all those sights and sound that the highly perceptive person child mm -hmm. is, is catching. Um, yes. And then at the same time, the less perceptive child, they might not be hearing the, uh, you know, the lifeguard at the pool telling them don't run. And it's not yes. that they're ignoring them. It's just, there are all of these other things and they're pretty much honed in onto, you know, being in line at the diving board. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, my mom tells the story of me when I was a little kid, actually, we had gone to visit a family friend who had recently moved and she was having trouble remembering where the house was. Mm -hmm. And I was maybe, I don't know, I was early school age, like maybe six or seven. And I just remember from the back seat. I was like, well, mom, the house number is 1819. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the house number was 1819. And my mom was able to find the house. And I've heard her tell that story a couple of times. And then now I think mm -hmm. those are the kinds of details that I see my daughter pick up on. Exactly. Um, you know, when we would drive to school, she'd be like, if I took a different way, mom, the blue house is on the wrong side of the car. Exactly. Um, she picks up on those details. The so the apple has definitely not fallen far from the tree on the distractibility <laughs> perceptiveness trait here. Uh, that's what we call it too. Apples and trees, Laura, apples and trees. Yes, <laughs> yes. So as we think about, you know, this kind of continuum and, you know, our own distractibility level in our child's, where does your family kind of fall? You know, everybody, did they get a little or get a lot? So I think about my three children and I think that if I include myself in this mix, that there are two of us who are more highly distractible, more perceptive mm. than the other two of us. And then of those two that are less distractible, one is definitely um, much less perceptive in noticing mm. those things. And so I can see there are times where gosh, you know, her and I are totally missing each other's cues. She's not catching my subtle cues and I'm forgetting that she's not being intentionally, um, you know, obstinate. She's not ignoring yeah. me intentionally. I'm just being way too subtle. Yes. And it's just different 
the different temperament levels and the different experiences. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and my family, my co-parent, as well as my two kids, we all actually tend to fall on the like mildly to very distractible. <laughs> um, and so we actually all kind of fall on the same end of the continuum uh, for us. So sometimes that is a challenge though, too. It can be. Actually, I have to tell you this. The other day, my daughter and I were sitting together in the chair in the living room and I was looking out the back window of the house, just like, you know, in the zone, like daydreamy. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, you know, I like come out of it, shake my head a little bit. And I'm like, oh, you, you were maybe saying something to me. And I looked down at her. She's looking out the front window, daydreamy, like <laughs> looking at the birds. outside. <laughs> and then I, I just like, I had to laugh and I start laughing and she like shakes her head a little bit like, oh, oh what, mom. And what? I was like, we okay. were both distracted. <laughs> Oh, that's cute. Uh, yes. So one thing we do, of course, like to think and keep in mind with our different temperament traits is that as kids grow and age, uh, you know, that temperament's going to stay the same, but there's going to be times when, because of the developmental tasks they're working on, that it's really that certain traits will come, you know, kind of rear their head. You'll really see those temperament traits kind of come to play. And mm -hmm. we know it's perceptive and um, that that actually kind of increases as we grow, those skills associated with that, that noticing. Um, and so as we think about these ages and stages in perceptiveness, I love um, to kind of go through some examples here. Sure. So let's start little like we always do. Let's start with those infants and toddlers. How might we see this kind of perceptiveness or distractibility um, play out? Let's start with, you know, the higher end. Okay. So just... Just developmentally, we think about infants and toddlers taking in their whole world. And so in general, because of who they are as little human beings, it's honestly like science class 24-7. So let's talk about um, the, the more distractible infant or toddler. And we look at the fact that that infant, they might not nurse very easily because they're excitable and they want to see what's going around them. And the same thing with that, that distractible or highly perceptive toddler, you know, they might not um, sit and eat their entire meal because they're so distracted with what else is going on around them. So what about on that less distractible and, you know, what might we notice about a baby or toddler who's less distractible? Yeah. So the less distractible infant or toddler, you know, one of the things that we talk about with tools and techniques in terms of guidance and discipline is that this idea of we can redirect an infant or toddler. Mm. Well, guess what? If you have a less persistent or I'm sorry, a, <laughs> well, guess what? If you have a less distractible or less perceptive toddler, they're not going to be easily redirected. And so mm. that that handy temperament or that handy <laughs> guidance and discipline tool just isn't going to work as quickly for them as it does for other children. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on up the ages here. So let's look at preschool. So what do you know? We know that lots of kids, you know, they're starting preschoolers are starting some of that school stuff. We see certain things that are going on in the school day. What are kind of some traits or some tasks that might be going on where we might see this distractibility come to play? Um, again, let's start with that more distractible child. 
Okay, so a more distractible preschooler is that child that, you know, during circle time, they mm. might notice everything else around them except for what the teacher is doing. So they might <laughs> catch that spider climbing up the wall mm. in the corner. They might hear the sirens going um, off in the distance outside. They might feel their, uh, you know, another child behind them kind of wiggling. And, you know, as a, as a teacher, a preschool teacher, you might get frustrated because they're constantly distracted by things that are going on around them. Yeah, they're taking in all that stuff. Taking it all in. So what about the, like, the less distractible child then? Well, in that same scenario, think about during circle time, the children are all sitting there and the less distractible child is really focused and honed in on that book that the teacher is reading. Mm -hmm. And sometimes preschools use that circle time as a transition to move from one activity to the other. And that less distractible child might not hear the teacher behind them asking them to come and wash their hands or come mm -hmm. over for the other activity. And so, again, it's not that that less distractible child is purposely ignoring you. They're just not catching it. Mm -hmm. mm, yes. So picking up on everything around at circle time except the book or maybe so honed into the book can't notice the other stuff around. Absolutely. <laughs> having Absolutely. Trouble Absolutely. Easily. All right. So what about these kind of school agers? Um, All right. So thinking about one of the big parent-child power struggles of school age, right? It's the big homework word. Yes. Homework, homework, homework. Yes. And sometimes parents will, you know, call and say, the nemesis of my existence is homework. <laughs> yes, right? So think about the highly distractible school-ager. When it comes to homework, they are catching and noticing everything else around them. Uh, you know, the, the cats and the dogs running through the house, they can hear the neighbor kids outside still playing and they're having to do homework. And so homework can really be a difficult time for a distractible child. Mm -hmm. And as we think about a child who is less distractible and homework, you know, what might happen is they might be so honed in on their homework and they don't hear their parent calling them down for dinner or they mm. don't, you know, catch that their timer went off and now they need to go and move to another task. So both ends of the continuum can bring us those parent-child power struggles. And one other thing to, to mention with that highly distractible child is remember, if they're really working hard at honing in on their homework, they're going to be exhausted when they're done. Yes. And, you know, so there's that potential for those meltdowns after homework because they're so exhausted from trying to not be distractible. Mm -hmm. I think about like a lot of times in my family, you know, we would do want to do homework at like the kitchen table or something, but then all the sound of cooking and yes, right by the window outside and all. And it's like, this actually isn't, I, you know, I learned as I got older, that was not a good place for me to try to do that because I was exhausted from tuning it out. Versus it didn't take quite as much energy if I found a space where there wasn't as much to distract. Yes. Um, but it, cause it is, it's, I get exhausted from having exhausted. to hone in for a long time. And our producer Mackenzie Young brought this up as well. And she said, well, think about the distractible child taking tests at school. You know, mm -hmm. after their test, they are, they could be completely exhausted and then they have to move to the next class. Yes. Cool. And the teacher may expect things of me in this next class, not knowing how wiped I am mm -hmm. from working really hard on that test and not looking at my friend clicking the pen and 
Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Which brings you to the end of the day meltdowns for distractible children. I mean, mm -hmm. they've been honed in all day long at school. You've been honed in all day long at work. Whew, perfect storm happening at 530, yeah. right? Oh, Everyone is are, exhausted. Are you in my house at 530, <laughs> are you? Are you here? <laughs> all right. So let's move to maybe what's at your house. <laughs> so looking at some so it's at teeth my three. house. So my house, parent power struggles happen around chores. And mm. the idea that my teens and preteens, you know, the highly distractible children, and you tell them to go do their chores, well, you know, they might start sweeping and notice that, you know, there's garbage on the floor, pick up the garbage on the floor. Suddenly they realize the garbage is over full. They take the garbage out the back door. They notice their shoes out the back door. So they bring their shoes up to their bedroom and pretty soon they're not mm -hmm. in the kitchen where I expect them to be sweeping. <laughs> right? okay, then, you are at my house, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, oh. so that power struggle of why aren't you doing what I asked? Well, you know, because all these other I things am. distracted me. Yes, Can't, I am cleaning. Right? Can't you praise me for all mm -hmm. these other things I did notice um, mm -hmm. that needed to happen? And so, you know, on that that high distractibility, highly perceptive end of the spectrum. And so think about the opposite side, that less mm -hmm. distractible, less perceptive. The task I sent them to go do was to sweep and they completed it. And then they left the room. <laughs> but they didn't notice that, you know, there was garbage overflowing and that they could take the garbage out. They didn't notice on the way out to take the garbage that their shoes were on the steps that they could have put those away. And so there's that yeah. potential for me to be frustrated and think, well, you only did one thing you swept and, you know, in their eyes, well, they completed what you asked. Did what you I didn't even so, notice the garbage. I didn't even notice the garbage. The garbage is overflowing, huh? You know, and oh so there God. are those just those places for those power struggles when it comes to perceptiveness and mm -hmm. where we are on that continuum. Yes. And I think this is a good place to remind everybody, myself included, that yes, it's not about an excuse, right? Understanding this temperament trait is not saying, oh, they don't need to take out the garbage because they just won't notice it. We're not saying that we're saying, understand that your child may not naturally mm -hmm. pick up on those subtle things. And so we might need to be a little more explicit or your child was cleaning. Mm -hmm. They were just ended up cleaning parts of a lot of different tasks. Right. Yeah. And so just understanding the place where that might naturally come from for them and yeah. what skills we can help them develop. Exactly. Rolling right into that of what skills can we help them develop? Because mm -hmm. remember, we talked about this idea of learning to respond mm -hmm. to their natural temperament. And like you said, it's not an excuse to, you know, just keep ignoring the garbage. It allows us that opportunity to respond in a way that's a good fit. We respond mm -hmm. and we say, oh gosh, I need to help you remember that after you're done sweeping, why don't you go ahead and check the garbage? Because you may not have noticed that it was overflowing. And mm -hmm. Thomas and Chess, they call this the goodness of fit. And learning to support those natural tendencies really helps us to not blame the child or even yeah. blame and shame ourselves. And yeah. it, what <laughs> happens is it maybe makes our parenting easier. And we can begin yeah. to really learn about and understand and then prevents behavior problems in children. So as we look at that natural distractibility, that natural perceptiveness mm -hmm. and pair it with our own, 
well, like we said, we may not be surprised to find that they're similar. Mm-hmm. And and if we look at how to navigate that distractibility or perceptiveness, we essentially find a way to create a better fit. Mm. Yes. And I love that. And it makes me think of, you know, our writer Barb, you know, she talks about this idea of creating space Mm. for understanding temperament. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love that. And, you know, seeing it as that gift that we value, you know, and as parents, you know, that we understand and explore their temperament, you know, and along the way we help teach them skills. We help them meet milestones. You know, we help, we have these shared goals of things that they want to accomplish. And so they can successfully navigate the world with that temperament Mm -hmm. while valuing it, right? That we're not going to, okay, well, you never pay attention to blah, 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 blah. So you need to like, no, you can value that you are a highly perceptive person. I can teach you to value that. And I can help you gain some skills to navigate the world with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing that happened as she was sharing that with us was we all of a sudden started to think about, we need to add in a section where we talk about what's wonderful. Yes. So thank you to her for leading us in that direction, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what's wonderful. So when we think about the less perceptive, less distractible trait, whether it's in a child or an adult, what do you think about is wonderful about the less distractible? So this is being highly distractible. Uh, you know, it's a little bit easier for me to like relate to that and see that as like a wonderful strength. Um, so I was like, I really want to give thought. This is a wonderful strength. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be less distractible too. Um, and so that ability, I mean, honestly, it just impresses me. Like <laughs> the ability to like just hone in and on task. And I even think our writer Barb sometimes, the her ability to multitask because she can tune things out. And I'm just oh. like, yes. That is not something that comes very easily to me. And so that is, that's a wonderful thing about a child or a person in general who is less distractible, that ability to hone in. Mm. What would you say is wonderful? I definitely, where you said it impresses me and and it, (laughs) it impresses me and I appreciate it. And thank goodness that someone who is less distractible is on our team like (laughs) because without her oof the three of us would just Mm. be constantly going off the rails and so i appreciate Mm. having someone on our team who can keep us honed in when we need to be Mm. absolutely it's wonderful yeah it is indeed wonderful (laughs) so what about on the other end of the continuum what would you say is wonderful about being more highly distractible or more perceptive so i do often have to remind people that is it is wonderful that you know i can find humor and be creative and catch the other things that (laughs) others are missing because i am highly distractible and I, i was chuckling because sometimes we've talked about how we are just exhausted after recording and and it hit me while we were recording this right now and Mm -hmm. i'm thinking gosh i hope i didn't miss anything she said because i was totally thinking about this thought (laughs) but that idea of we are exhausted from phoning into each other to record the podcast (laughs) weird how that happens to us highly distractible folks (laughs) 
I think of, you know, the wonderful, I shared that my daughter is uh, particularly, you know, more perceptive and um, I actually have this picture of her. We were on a walk and I remember like kind of turning around, like, come on, like, let's go. And so I turned around to like, get ready to be like, okay, come on. But I turned around and right as I got, went to like, uh, I realized she was literally stopping to smell the flowers. Um, and so I like, I have this picture of her stopping to, you know, smelling those flowers. She's like, not even two. And it's just the sweetest, but I do literally that Mm -hmm. girl stops to smell the flowers. Um, so I do think that's a wonderful thing. Sometimes with the distractible child, it's like, okay, I'm giving you a direction. Listen to what I'm saying. Do, you know, do the thing. Don't be distracted. But it is also so wonderful, that ability to take that in um, and to notice and stop and smell the flowers. We'll have to think about posting that that picture of her alongside the picture of me when I was about 18 months old outside with my grandmother and I'm smelling the flowers. Really? Oh, that's so sweet. We should. I'm going to have to dig that picture out. Future, yeah, a future story. Yeah, right? This is future of of Millie and Lori. Yes. Yes, I love that. All right. So let's talk about our reality. How about it? Mm -hmm. So looking at some strategies for you as listeners, now that you kind of have this understanding or listeners or viewers, whichever you are, um, of, you know, this understanding of distractibility or perceptiveness trait, um, what are some strategies we have to help our kids who might fall on either end of this continuum? Yeah, so I look to Mary Shidi Krasinka's book, Raising Your Spirited Child, when mm-hmm. it comes to some of these techniques, particularly when it comes to that highly distractible, highly perceptive child, uh, because there, there are a lot of parent power struggles that can happen on that end of the continuum. Now, not to say that there aren't power struggles at the other. Um, and I think that as we talk through these strategies, you'll find that they can be utilized for either end of the continuum. Yes. So a couple of strategies together here include presenting information in different ways, you might have to present it slower or without distraction or even using words or written instructions. Mm. Mm -hmm. Love that one. So for the less distractible child, it's the explicit, like, okay, you did this nice job completing that whole task. This is the next task. Mm -hmm. I explicitly want you to empty the garbage and sweep Mm -hmm. and wipe the counters. Exactly. (laughs) And for the more distractible child who maybe was noticing the flowers while we maybe were trying to give a direction, the written out instructions also give like, okay, remember to come back. You didn't finish sweeping. Make sure you get back so you can cross that all the way out. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I love that, the idea of writing it down. And it's really important to, if you start to hear yourself say, well, I told you, and and they're kind of looking at you with a blank stare, that's a really huge indicator that Mm -hmm. "Mm, I might need to write this down and speak the words out loud. Yes. It's just something you might have to learn to do is a little of both. Mm Mm-hmm. So another strategy that she talks about is using eye contact and keeping it simple. And when I'm talking about eye contact, I'm not saying that phrase we've sometimes maybe heard ourselves saying, which is, look at me when I speak to you. Yeah, It's not that at all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not that. It's more the idea that we say something like, oh, I can tell you're really focusing on that book. As soon as you look up and see my eyes, I need to tell you something. Mm, yes. I know I'll know you're ready to listen when you're when you're looking up. Yes. Exactly. So like 
the opportunity for eye contact, recognizing whether it's because they're focusing on lots of things or honed in on one. Right. Yes. The yes. opportunity for the eye contact. And if, the other thing to consider here is that with children who are distractible, highly perceptive, mm -hmm. and with children who are not distractible or less perceptive, we're going to find that we're repeating ourselves in multiple ways, mm. multiple different times. And that is something that we just have to get over mm. and recognize I am going to need to say it, write it, perform it, model it multiple times for them because mm. it's their natural temperament. Yeah. And if we can get over that annoyance of it and mm -hmm. accept that it is part of them, we suddenly become much more willing to teach them how to work with what they naturally have. Yes. I honestly feel like I need to like take a breath and take that in. Like, okay, I'm, I can expect that I'm going to need to repeat it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not my child being difficult. It's not, right. you know, it's not any of that. It's a part of raising whether my child is highly distractible or yes. less distractible. It's a part of raising my kids that I can expect it will be normal for me to have to repeat myself a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I don't, I don't have to be mad No, um, because it's not, it's not them being difficult. It's not necessarily a choice. It's a, all right. Part of raising my kids is that I'm going to need to repeat myself a lot for them. Yes. Like, and there's some power in that for me. There's totally power in that. And as they yeah. grow, you can even say things like, okay, so this is actually the fifth time I've said it. And I know that sometimes you miss the first two or three, but this is the fifth one. And as they grow, they're then going to be teaching themselves alongside of us. Okay. What can I do? Because this is the fifth time. And now I can tell that the irritation in her voice is rising. Mm. Yes. So allowing that. So, okay. So another strategy that Mary talks about is maybe including some different motivators for learning, even things like multimedia messages. So yes. motivators for learning um, might include, we, we think about those, you know, standard sticker charts, or we mm -hmm. think about a motivator for learning, earning time on a mm -hmm. multimedia device. So yes. what can we earn that motivates us to stay on task? to, mm -hmm. you know, hone in. Yes. We talked about the plan in a future episode that my daughter mm -hmm. and I, actually you helped us develop of this like, okay, we need a, like a thorough bedtime routine because staying on task and all the transitions between tasks that bedtime mm -hmm. was hard for us. And so, yes, it was realizing my daughter loved to go to the fountain, like mm -hmm. the outside fountain um, that's in our town. And it was just a few blocks from our house. And so it was like, you know what? We're going to work on doing our, doing the plan for a couple mm -hmm. nights in a row. And, you know, it was three, you know, just not, she's young, so not a lot, but like three nights in a row, we'll work the plan. And then, you know what, the motivator to stay mm -hmm. on task, we're going to go to that fountain. Mm -hmm. um, we're excited yeah. because we'll have rested, you know, and talking about why that was relevant, you know, mm -hmm. but different motivators for different kids. Exactly. And then another one that she adds is saying what you mean and having clear expectations. And I think about the idea that sometimes we say, go clean your room. Mm. Well, okay, well, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for my 
15 year old? What does that mean for me? And what does that mean for my six year old? They can mean completely different things. Even if the child who is six or 15 has cleaned their room a dozen times. Yeah. <laughs> this particular time, <laughs> things are in different spots. The, mm. you know, it is a different day. The lighting is different. It's a different time of day. And so cleaning the room is so ambiguous. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean by clean? Right. Living. So Clear expectations. I need you to pick up your clothes, put them in the laundry, and bring me down the garbage, you know, yeah. or whatever your expectations are. Just be clear. And then going back up the list, you might have to, you know, write it down. You might have to give a motivator. You might have to repeat it a couple times in a couple different ways. Have wait till you have eye contact, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So many good strategies there from that book. Um, yes. No matter what end of the continuum your child is falling on with this trait of perceptiveness and Absolutely. Absolutely. So. All right. So maybe it's time to bring in our producer for yeah. our Stop, Breathe, Talk segment. I might need to take another breath. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a space where we allow McKenna. Allow. Did you like how I said that? Yeah, right. we, 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 we let her. Thought about that. We, we yeah. invite Mackenzie DeYoung in to give us the opportunity to practice some Stop, Breathe, Talk. She gives us a question and we have absolutely no idea what that question is going to be. <laughs> we even tried to fish it out of her before. We, we're like, we do. Well, I mean, today, what, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, it's about distractibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honest, but just not yeah. fully truthful, right? <laughs> yes. So today's question is... Um, also from Barb, she is very. She's been very helpful to come up some, with some questions that are a little outside the box or things that I don't necessarily think of. So uh, today's question is along the lines of telling the difference between when a child is just distractible versus when they're being disobedient. And or is a child ever disobedient or are they just distractible or... Insert answer here. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. Okay. So <laughs> the basis of that question ends up to land on that, you know, that idea of motive. Mm. So what is the motive behind the behavior? So the question you said was, is the child just being disobedient or is the child's temperament interfering? And I would answer, yes. <laughs> so what's the motive? So if you have a specific example of, let's say that my, um, I've asked my 12-year-old to go and do a chore, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they remain seated on the couch where they were watching television. And so I then have to decide, okay, well, Mackenzie and Lori, I've been listening to this podcast. They tell me that I need to expect to repeat myself because my child is not distractible. Mm -hmm. And so I am going to probably move into their line of sight and get that eye contact, which was one of the strategies that they told me I should think about. So I'm going to get into their line of sight and I'm going to repeat my request and ask them, you know, did you hear me? If you heard me, can you look up so I know that you actually heard 
um, my requests. Mm-hmm. All right. And then it becomes, do they look up? Did I get their attention? Did I not get their attention? And then what is my tone? Do I have a tone that says, I really want to work this out in a way where you're listening to me and I'm getting my request, you know, finished. And and so it, it, it depends on that interaction and it depends on the tone of the interaction. Um, and it also, I mean, you can 100% say to your child, okay, I feel like you're really not listening to me. And, and I've, been known to say that to my 15 year old or even my 20 year old. Okay. I'm really sensing that either you didn't hear me or you're purposely not listening. And that's where I bring that humor in. Right. And so sometimes we, as parents, we dance around things. We, we think, Oh, I can't say that to him. Well, well, why can't I tell my child? I really feel like you're not listening to me. And all of a sudden the child's like, Whoa. Okay. She, she caught on to my game. I wasn't listening. I was purposely not listening. And so that I I do tend to bring in that humor and that playfulness uh, sometimes just to keep my own tone in check. Sure, mm-hmm. but I still get the end result. I get I get the win. The mm-hmm. child completes the chore, and we now have this opportunity to have a communication about being honest with me, saying I kind of feel like you were ignoring me on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and. I actually kind of want to, I feel like we're going around the question while answering the question, Um, but I want to think about the word disobedient Mm. Um, in particular. Is that a term we would use for an adult? Mm. Um, And so, and in what situations would we use that word? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of go back to authoritative parenting and not that we never have requests of our child or expectations that they need to meet. Um, But is it also balanced with warmth? Right. That authoritative parenting has expectations and warmth. And so, yes, my child is reading a book and, hey, trying to get your attention. Hey, trying to get your attention. (laughs) Hey, listen to me. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. And you're it could be on purpose. Right. Like, I am upset. I don't want to listen to you ask me to do this because I want to do what I'm doing or I'm mad about how things went a little bit ago. And so it's not there may be child when there may be times when a child is choosing not to meet your expectation. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the warmth part of that is also trying to understand, okay, right now you're working on, right? So Mm -hmm. if I was going to talk to my co-parent, like, hey, could we do, you know, could we pick up the house today? Could we, if they said, you know what, right now I'm planning on doing this, we wouldn't call them disobedient. Um, And so I think giving some thought to that of, Yes, distractibility is a factor in these things. And yes, our children need to meet the appropriate expectations we have for them. But balancing it with that warmth, too, I think comes in. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did we answer it the right way? Maybe not the right way. Did I don't we know answer? if there was a right way. I just think the question comes from a place of this happening a lot, right? That there's, I know I am highly distractible. And I, as a child, was the kid who, when told to go clean your room, would go in my room and move piles around and sit and reminisce about childhood as a yeah. an eight-year-old, right? Um, <laughs> and I mm-hmm. still do that where I sit and I look at things because I get distracted. And for me, it wasn't because I was trying to be a pain. It was just because I was yeah. like, oh, I want to look at this. Oh, I want to look at this. And I know that rings true in at least, you know, one of my niece and nephews, if not more of them, that – Sometimes it feels like they're just trying to get under our skin, but really they're distracted. But in some cases, he gives you that little smirk and you're like, 
You're giving me a smirk, right? Right? That smirk of like, okay, go clean your room. So Mm -hmm. it's just kind of that starting that conversation of like, are they doing it on purpose or is it their temperament? So just that's kind of where it comes from. Relationship and connection, you know, like that warm part of it does help you know, does help give you a little bit of insight, like, okay, you are being a sneaky little, you know, like you're being kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so I maybe have been known to say, I can see your grin. So I know that you're hearing me. And so how about you make the choice to go finish the task? <laughs> yes. Oh, thanks, Ken yeah. and Barb. Yes. Barb is always helpful. Mm-hmm. Helping you out. Yeah. I was like, so maybe we should start fishing questions out of Barb instead of trying to fish them out of. <laughs> she she gives them to me to re- present to there you. you. Go. I'll, I'll always give her credit when she give when she feeds them to me because yes. I need the help sometimes. <laughs> Love it. All Love right. It. Bye. Excellent. Thanks, Ken's. Oh, so that's perceptiveness and distractibility, right? Understanding how much we're taking in of the world around us. Uh, did we get a little of this trait or a lot, you know, that it plays out at different ages um, and different developmental milestones. And then, you know, of course, understanding the goodness of fit and the strategies that we can use to help our kids navigate the world with either a lot of distractibility, a little distractibility, or somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. So there we are for today's Distractibility, Perceptiveness, Temperament Mm -hmm. Podcast in Season 3. And we want to thank you for joining us at The Science of Parenting. And remember, subscribe to our weekly and audio podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. You can also watch our show each week on Facebook. And once in a while, you can even join us live where we might take your comments and questions. So please come along with us as we tackle the ups and downs, the ins and outs, and the research and reality all around the science of parenting. The Science of Parenting is a research-based education program hosted by Lori Haynes and Mackenzie Johnson, produced by Mackenzie DeYoung with research and writing by Barbara Dunn-Swanson. Send in questions and comments to parenting at iastate.edu and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. This program is brought to you by Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. This institution is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to www.extension.iastate.edu slash diversity slash ext.